0: It's hard to just do the right thing because it's the right thing, because the situation calls for it, because you're supposed to show God's character on earth, because hopefully your own character is coming into line with that benevolent generosity, and then step back from the results and say, I don't own the results. I only own my part.
1: Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. I mean, today, I'm going to really change it up today. We're just going to go with uh, Tracy. Good morning. And Eric. Good morning. I'm going to put Karen last like you I'm
0: always last. You if weren't I'm
1: last not. week. That's true. Good morning. But you're all here. That's what's good. Good to have all the friends here. The gang. The gang back together again. Not this I guess it's only been a week. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but still, the gang's all together. I... I I had a bit of a of a revelation to me the other day all of a sudden, okay we we record about two weeks ahead of schedule. all of a sudden I realized this is Super Bowl weekend, right? Yes, I think I've watched well actually i don't I haven't watched even five seconds of football this year i was I was completely taken unawares by the Super Bowl this year. well, Tracy, you're more of a sporty guy. Did you know it was Super Bowl weekend? Of course. I figured. Yes? Hello. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a weird... It's kind, I mean, I'm not big into sports anyway, but it's kind of a really weird year for sports. I was actually surprised they were going to try to do a Super Bowl. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: they've, they've taken on everything, tried to keep everything the same, limited capacity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just interesting. Interesting. Because, like I said, I was, I was just completely out of the loop on it this time. And uh, Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow, so we get... More weeks of winter. I guess by the time people listen to this, you're you're only down to four more weeks of winter. So, um, so at least uh, you know, take that take that to heart and and be happy. Of course, I'm looking out my window right now, and it's clear skies. And you know, we haven't had much snow actually since winter set in. So I don't know. We could actually use maybe we could actually use those weeks of winter. But anyway. yes, yeah, good. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to snow. It was supposed to snow on Wednesday and they pushed it back to this weekend and it doesn't look like it's going to snow now. No, no, it looks nice. And I was actually working outside two days. It was cold. It was just like that, that uh, it's insulting to me when it's cold, but for no reason, it's just cold and windy. If if it wants to be cold and snow, that's cool. When it's just cold, just for the sake of being cold, it's just, it's like, it just insults me, insults my, uh, insults my nature. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's enough talk about the weather. How about we get into an actual discussion of some uh, importance, or at least uh, some uh, interest? We are picking up the book of First Samuel again this week. Last week we were in uh, deep into some Psalms after David had spared Saul's life in the cave, which was a fun, which was a fun uh, uh, discussion, a fun story, um, and then we got into David's state of mind through those psalms. And we pick it up again in chapter 25 now. And it interestingly starts, it starts with the death of Samuel, which had me instantly going, well, who wrote the book?
0: It's first Samuel, no less.
1: Yeah. So obviously it wasn't Samuel writing the book. So I, I'm a little curious about who wrote it. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe David, but I don't. we don't get any indication of who wrote the book. But it starts with, like I said, the death of Samuel. And he gets... A whopping one verse for his death, which I kind of thought was interesting. Also, um, I've noticed I've noticed that when people die here, in what we've read so far, very few people get much of um, of a eulogy, I guess you would call it, uh, over their deaths in the Bible. Did you find that interesting at all?
0: I don't I've never find really
1: thought of it. Maybe didn't think about it, huh? I
0: don't find it surprising.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I think Moses got a bit. I don't know, just, it, it's just sort of interesting that um, it's like death isn't really, and I guess from a Christian perspective, we look back on it, and it, maybe it's not that uh, not that eventful, you know, in, in well, a long, see. wide wide view of things.
3: Maybe it's not that. It's just that your life matters more than your death. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's also somewhat silly. I, you know, here, you know, somebody's a gangster, and they've got virtually no compelling, uh, you know, attributes to their life and, and they get killed in a gang fight and then oh he was such a sweet boy and every was so lovely and it's like come on. It's mm-hmm. like it's just like you let your life speak for what it is and then you know you're gone and people are sad and, and that's the part that that's the part that's always baffled me is that everybody acts sad for the person who's gone. I mean they're gone. Right. It's let's just be honest about it, is that the sadness is for everybody who's left. And yeah. so you know, They said that they mourned for him, um, mm-hmm. and I imagine at this point, to we keep this in perspective, is that Israel knows that their king is basically a lunatic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, full-on sort of lunatic. He's off he, the rails. Yeah. And so you've got to mm. be a little bit disturbed when the other, you know, your outrigger, so to speak, the stabilizing factor is gone. I'm sure they were sad. Right.
0: Um, I would like to take a moment to let everyone know <clears throat> that if you, if you Google who wrote the books of Samuel, apparently books of Samuel is a book yes. like a modern published book. And oh. it, will, it will tell you that a man named Robert Alter, who was photographed in color, wrote the books of Samuel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Probably the wrong one then.
0: Yeah, no, I'm guessing totally the wrong one.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, first you have me going there because first and second Samuel were one book just split up for, for study yeah. purposes. So, yeah, you had me going there. Well, the book goes on and uh, there is a guy named Nabal. Now, I'd like to talk to this guy's parents because they named this guy, they named him <laughs> Nabal, which means fool.
0: Who names your kid fool? You mean like in retrospect or at their? Birth? Well, <laughs> I think every parent, at least <laughs> at least
1: uh, quietly to themselves or, or to each other, uh, has probably said that about their kids at some point. <laughs> I I could, be, I could probably guarantee my parents have said it about me. So uh, if my kids listen to this, it's like guys. Just, you'll do it too, so you know. <laughs> but yeah, but then but so this guy's name is Nabal, which means fool, and he kind of starts living up to his name. Uh, David sends some men to him to ask for some support, I guess, maybe even some gifts. Uh, there's a feast day coming up, and David would like a little, a little something from Nabal, and I guess he feels. Maybe not entitled to it, but uh, doesn't feel too bad about asking for it because his men had been in the fields with Nabal's men. And at first you're reading the story and it sounds like, you know, nothing. They didn't do anything to him while they were there. But what you find out is that his men had actually been actively protecting Nabal's men. I don't know if it's from Philistine raiders or, you know, just uh, bad guys in the region, but they didn't let anything happen to him.
0: Or simply protecting his own reputation. If, if there was a group of 600 dudes camping near a bunch of shepherds or herdsmen with their various herds and those herds have animals going missing, who's the likely suspect? Mm -hmm. The 600 600 hungry dudes that are in the vicinity are going to be your first look, I would think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine that many guys just kind of camped out hanging around uh they'd be raising eyebrows.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of food that they would need.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, sheep start going missing. Sure. Who are you can look at? Yep. The guys that are just hanging out. Well, Nav- Nabal Nabel refuses the request and really he really disrespects David. How did he how did he how did he put it? I mean, he was not nice about it. He, who, is, um,
0: who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse?
1: Yeah.
0: Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where?
1: Yeah. And so he's not saying it as if he doesn't know who David is, but he's just like, it's like, I don't know this guy anything. Well, but David clearly thinks differently and he takes 400 of his men out of 600 to go. And he is prepared to kill every single male in Nabal's household, I mean, he he is he is ticked off. He uh, he's not happy. I thought, you know, is this this is kind of an? It seems like an odd move from David at this point.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, nope. It doesn't seem like a mature response. No. And I also note here that at no point in this did David, at least we don't hear from uh, that w- we don't hear that David asked God's opinion on this. Usually, he's like. You know, should I go attack the Philistines? And God says, yes. Here, David just gets ticked off, and he's ready to go after Nabal. Fortunately, Nabal has a more level-headed wife named Abigail, and she's told by uh, one of Nabal's men about how David's men had treated them and how they had protected them. And he he acknowledges here that no one can speak to Nabal. He's uh, apparently not a great boss.
3: You know, but we, we, we admire that now. We think somebody who's got direction and purpose and can and stand firm and speak their mind, that's the kind of person we want to be. You know, someone who can, who can uh, stand up and tell it like it is. And there's a difference, I think, between being truthful and being a jerk. And yeah. Nabal is somebody who will not take direction or input from anybody and he feels pretty confident in that. I'd say David's response to him maybe is different than what we would want it to be in an idealized disneyfied this is what this is what christians and god followers do. Mm-hmm. But what he does is 100% normal human. Yeah. Basically what's happened is is it's it's christmas time. It's, you know, and David goes to the door and says, "Hey, you know, do you actually have, do you have any extra cookies?" And Nabal is because remember, that being hospitable in this culture is—I mean, they would even say, "Here, take my spouse. You know, have all the food. We'll kill the fatted lamb for you." I mean, like somebody just walks in, you don't even know, has done nothing for you, and we see people just going way, way, way out of their way to be hospitable. And Nabal is he is 180 degrees. I mean, he is way out of line. And David does what I think most humans would do, say, like, fine, you, you shoved me from behind, you don't know who you just pushed. And he's going to go out and take care of this himself, which is what a lot of us do just with our human nature, and so David's headed out to do this, and he can. Mm-hmm. He's got the guys to do it. He has the firepower, and he's headed to Nabal's place um, to do what comes naturally.
2: You know, I was I was thinking about the same thing, and I was thinking to myself, you know, if David would have let himself um, be known that he was doing that beforehand, if it would have changed the outcome, and the way they were looking, the way they presented Nabal's character, I don't think it would have been any different.
0: Yeah, there was there was one thing that David says that, I mean, like the, the thing that kept coming to my mind as I read this is, did David have an obligation to do those things for Nabal's herdsmen? No, he didn't. Did Nabal have an obligation to be generous to David? No, he didn't, right? Like, we're no, not... culturally, I
3: think he did. But what? I think culturally, he really was obliged to do that.
0: Okay. So, the thing that... So, in verse 21, David said, David is saying, It's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. And I don't know, like unless they had an agreement between the two of them, does Nabal do the right thing as far as like what we think of as a good human? No. Did he have some sort of obligation to be good to David? I also don't think he did. But and then David seems to overreact. I don't know. Like this whole story is it. It reminded me of my son when he was little where he used to want me to force my daughter to do nice things for him. And it was like, son, at some point you got to leave this up to – well, I did this nice thing for her two days ago. And it's like, okay (laughs) – reciprocity isn't guaranteed. If you do something nice for someone, it's because you do something nice for them. They are not actually obligated to do something nice back to you. Would it be a good thing if they did? Yes. Would that represent a good, generous, well-thought-out part of their character? Yes. Are they obligated to? No. (laughs) I I just don't think they are.
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting situation where I, I think in our culture we do feel I guess maybe in general we feel that re- reciprocity, I can't even say it re- recipro- recipro- reciprocity yeah what you said yeah. I, I I know the word I just can't say it but um you know I mean you think about like Christmas time and you talk with friends and you know they're like don't get me anything for Christmas because I don't want to have to get you something you right. know you know it's like but you know you don't have to. You know, that's that's come. I try to get across people is if I get you something, it, you don't have to get me something. I did something for you just because I, I wanted to. And, you know, maybe that's part of the lo- love language of, of gift giving. But, you know, you, you just like to do it.
0: Or you uh, see something story- that reminds you. Yeah, it's it. And, and I get that this is a different culture. And if you think back, I mean, I, I think that as a group, we've sort of noted some of the extremes that people will go to. Like Abraham is sitting under a tree and here comes some angels and he's like, oh, my gosh, wait while I make you dinner. And he goes and like kills a goat and has it prepared. This is like a several hours process just because he wants to serve his guest dinner. So, like, I, I get this is a different culture, but there were yeah. aspects of this story that I struggled with.
3: Yeah. Now, who, now in the story. If we're looking at this, I think it makes it David's bigger problem because if somebody doesn't owe us something and we go out and we feel like they do, then um, that's kind of a little bit unjustified, right? It's just like, they didn't owe you anything. That's your problem. When we look at this story, everybody in this story, with the exception of Nabal, believes that Nabal should have done something. Abigail believes Nabal did the wrong thing. Mm Nabal's employee thinks Nabal did the wrong thing. David Mm -hmm. thinks Nabal did the wrong thing. Everybody thinks that he did the wrong thing, which to me makes it even more significant when, if you guys haven't read the story, what happens is David's on the way, basically on the road. Abigail catches wind of this, and she goes and prepares a bunch of stuff because it was feast time and so she had this is another little clue here all of these things had to be readily available like she didn't go and make this stuff from scratch and it wasn't had time (laughs) well
1: you know you look at what she brought and compared
3: to the number of men
1: that david's got it really wasn't a huge amount either it was just a gesture
3: it was a gesture right so she gets all this stuff together she goes out and meets david and David stops. That's the. That's the. Basically, that's the storyline. But what's really significant in here is that whether David was or was not owed this by Nabal is somewhat, um, somewhat has a reflection in in what we find out next. But the bigger lesson is the same either way, and that is. Abigail I think is one of the most diplomatic speakers we I come across in the entire Bible.
4: <laughs> mm, yeah.
3: She is incredibly diplomatic in in the way she presents the situation. She says, "Hey, look, it's a real situation. Just to, please don't pay attention to him. Blame mm-hmm. me. You know, I I brought this stuff." Now, here's the thing that I find very interesting that's applicable to us. It's not just history. In in chapter 25, verse 26, this is Abigail talking to David. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. And then skip down to 31. And my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience, for having shed blood without cause,
4: mm-hmm.
3: or for my Lord's vengeance for himself. And David mentions that again down below. He, he he says in verse 33, Blessed be your discretion. You have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. Yep. And this is this idea of avenged and all this other stuff, I mean it pops up again in verse 39. David is saying this because Nabal dies. Basically, if you haven't read the story, David goes back with all the goods that uh, Abigail has brought to him, and he's he's over his anger. He's like, wow, that was a close call. I just about killed somebody to avenge myself over a hospitality slight. Great or large, whether Nabal owed it or didn't owe it, really that's what it boils down to, is it's a hospitality grudge. Mm-hmm. And David doesn't do this. He goes back and uh, Abigail tells Nabal, well, as soon as he's sober, because he's been partying and he's drunk, as soon as Nabal is sober, Abigail tells him and said, oh, hey, by the way, um, David and 400 men were on the way here to kill you and everybody else. And it sounds like, uh, Tracy, you're the medical guy, but it sounds to me like Nabal just has a stroke. Mm-hmm. He's, okay. you know, yeah. he's basically just stroked out and he becomes basically paralyzed and comatose. And he dies, I don't know, a week, 10 days later.
4: Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm.
3: And then in 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult. And so this this whole thing is kind of about David taking revenge into his own hands and how that is prevented. I find it fascinating Mm -hmm. in so many ways that David acknowledges this. Think about it culturally again. Let's go back. Here's David. He's been anointed the king. He's the chief of 600 tough guys. And here comes a married woman who who gives him a speech and he takes correction from her, turns his 400 soldiers around. Like, why are you doing this? Like, well, this woman talked to me and, you know, she just makes a lot of sense. That mm-hmm. that took a lot.
4: Yeah, it's good just a point.
3: fascinating yeah, just- description. Good- Revenge and 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 uh, blood guilt. We remember that from from um, from Genesis that God says, if you shed blood, whether it's an animal sheds human blood or human sheds human blood or any, there will be an accounting for this. And David's like, whoa, man, I came too close. And remember, David's killed a lot of people. Yeah, and I want to just say that there must be some difference between taking revenge or or getting even with somebody and the blood that's shed from that versus the blood that's shed in self defense because remember David went out and he just he's killed bunches of Philistines before there's no blood guilt there apparently
1: mhm
3: yeah and here there really is and so there's there's a lot going on in this story
1: yeah good point there too about David being prevented from from getting his own revenge cuz you know the psalms we read last week and i think some of them this week too where he talks a lot about god getting the retribution you know yeah. instead of himself
0: as far as what david says about abigail you know she like like eric described it she's very diplomatic and she she calls attention to the re, to the results of what david is ready to do and says, and basically says, I know that you are smart enough that you won't want this on your conscience, and so I've rushed to prevent it, kind of a thing. And it, and it reminded me of um, Proverbs thirty-one twenty-six. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Like you just, where you just kind of like, you just know, like you see something that's about to happen and you're like, that should not happen. I need to intervene. <laughs> that mm-hmm. ev- Everyone involved will regret this if this actually happens.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, David is obviously impressed by Abigail's actions here because after, after uh, Nabal dies, David takes her as a wife. Well, I guess he requests her and she, 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 she yeah. accepts, but takes her as a wife, which is, I don't know. That's very culturally, culturally significant, I think, when we understand how marriage worked back then. You know, for David to take her under, under his wing as she's been left behind, sort of, sort of by, not quite, but, but almost by his hand. It was just like um, a pre-screening,
2: maybe, you know, because she was such <laughs> a great diplomat. Yeah, It's like the truth, and you know what? It's like having some of those interactions maybe with other countries where Maybe the wife is present. You know what? She works well in those kind of situations. But I think, too, when I read this, I was like, she knew who Nabel was. She went out there and mm-hmm. just right away, she let him know that, you know what? He's a fool.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yes. and, and, and in a fight or a disagreement, when the, uh, the other party's significant other comes up and goes, you know what? You're absolutely right. He's a jerk. You know what? Sometimes that does have the cold water effect on the whole situation. This yeah. was
0: more though, because like David was on his way to kill every male of the household. Oh yeah, it wasn't just going to come back on Nabal's head,
2: right? But but I think the focus was Nabal. It was under Nabal's whole roof. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was to me. It was almost directed at that because everybody else already said, yeah, he he did us a huge favor out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So you know, I think it was just. Just like Eric was saying, she was a great diplomat. I'm, right.
0: picturing, I'm picturing the face of the modern woman as she reads David's proposal. Please come to the desert and live on the run with me and my 600 men oh, and my other wife. Uh, <laughs> also, I left one behind in the <laughs> capital.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he took another woman, Ahinoam, uh, as a wife. And we're informed there at the end of the chapter that Saul had made a real jerk move and given David's yep. first wife, Michael, to another man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like, like, man, Saul is not doing anything to make uh, friends with David at all. Okay, so that was David, and
3: that's David's story. How do we look at this ourselves? I mean, can we can we be either the diplomat, as Karen said, who can step up and prevent something? Do we see, or can we ourselves say, God, please keep me from doing dumb things that I'll regret? (laughs) What do we do with revenge? Do we, what, what do we do with that?
1: Yeah, I guess probably the first place, like you said, is start. Well, I mean, I guess we all have to, we have to judge our own lives, but you start in that spot of don't let me do dumb stuff today, God. (laughs) You know, if you, if you know that you're in a habit of, of, of making bad choices, Maybe your prayer needs to start out every day. Don't let me make dumb decisions today, God. And thank yeah. you for my wife. And thank you for my wife.
0: Yeah, I would I take think it. You, a, I would take a think I'm a fool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, missed what?
2: I said, and say a prayer. Thank you for my wife or my spouse. And I hopefully they don't think I'm a fool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I, I think that if we do good in the world, under the expectation that it will come back to us and we are, and we're so vested in that expected return that we lose our cool. If it doesn't happen, then we're doing good for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a book that described Jesus's ministry as one of disinterested benevolence. And it took me a while to get my head around that because I, I as a human, typically only have interested benevolence. Like, I'm going to do this good thing for you. And then I'm going to watch you to make sure you appreciate it properly and that you give back when I think it's appropriate and in the scale that I think is appropriate, right? That's interested benevolence. And And the difference is, am I doing it for the response, for the expected response, and the lack of that response will derail me? Or am I doing it because... I'm showing the character of God and hopefully my own character is in the process of getting stepped up a bit. Right. And that's, and so I, I have thought about that a lot over the last few years, I came across that passage and then about disinterested benevolence and Ooh, boy, I had to stop and get my teeth into that for a minute. And I swear to you that was divine timing because not even a week later, I was sitting at lunch with a friend of mine, And she's bawling her eyes out in disappointment because she's gone out of her way and out of her way and out of her way to do nice things for this person. And this person is like, yeah, thanks. And then just leaves and doesn't give anything back.
3: Mm. And I was
0: like, "Mm, OK, take a step back. Check your motivation. Like, why are you doing good? So I, you know, I gave her this. I told her, I said, like, hey, I just read this a few days ago. She starts crying. Oh, that's so, you know, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. You know. Anyway, it's it's hard. It's hard to just do the right thing because it's the right thing, because the situation calls for it, because you're supposed to show God's character on earth, because hopefully your own character is coming into line with that benevolent generosity, and then step back from the results and say, I don't own the results. I only own my part.
3: Mm-hmm. That's next level, Karen. That's really. That's so true, and that's so. It's, it's very difficult.
4: Mm-hmm. It's a
3: very difficult thing because we have you know, we, we threw the word out reciprocity earlier, which is I do this, you do that, and that's just how it works. You know, I mean, I go into a store, I give them my money, I expect something for it, and relationally we do a lot of that too. We think, well, I did this for you, you know, you should appreciate it or whatever, and the world does does not happen that way. Great point.
1: Mm-hmm. Chapter
3: twenty six begins
1: with David getting betrayed by the Ziphites again. He must not have had a he must not have had a good reputation with the Ziphites, or at least not a good um, a, a, a good relationship, I should say, with the Ziphites, because this is the second time they've tried to betray him to Saul. I don't know why he kept going back to their to their land, but. Um, but they they come to Saul again, and they reveal that David is hiding in the it's called the hill of Hakala. And I'm going to jump here just briefly to Psalm 54, which is part of our reading this week. Which is it's um it says that this is a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, "Is David not hiding with us?" So um, this is this is it's a little glimpse into David's state of mind then while he's he's getting betrayed by these people again and he starts out save me oh god by your name i thought that was kind of a cool that was an interesting way to put it save me by your name you know what do we think of as god's as god's name as something to to be saved by i think of i think of the commandment of not taking god's name in vain you know obviously it's more than a word here it's um I don't know. What do you think? A reputation, uh, yeah. uh, 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 Just a state of being, and, and
0: in this case, I think an ownership. Like I'm under God. God's got me.
1: Mm-hmm. He'll save me. And he talks about how his oppressors, he says, have not set God before them. I think that's a good. I think that's a good thing to recognize when you have adversaries, and if you're at least relatively certain that you're that you're trying to do God's will. And live your life in a good way. And you have people who are just constantly at your heels. Just recognizing that they're they're not looking to God for their direction. It gets even
3: more complicated when they claim they are, though. True. Yeah. Because Saul, to the Ziphites, last time anyways, he said, God bless you. Right. Yeah, it does get complicated.
0: Did you guys notice in verse 7 david's mixed feelings on the whole thing like he's doing it right right he's not taking the vengeance himself he's feeling attacked and he turns the whole thing over to god but but look at what he says in verse seven he the capitalized he god has delivered me out of all my troubles and mine eye, my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies hmm. Right. So it's like there's a very uh, the so that was New King James NIV says, you have delivered me from all my troubles and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Um, OK.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, you know, he is constantly asking God to be his avenger, to yes. to to defeat his enemies, which I remember last week. I remember talking about that being an interesting seemed to me sort of an odd prayer to make, but we talked about how that's just a, an honest place to be. You know, if you just pour your heart out to God and God, take care of these guys, you know, I mean, sometimes yeah. he's asking for almost like brutal retribution on them, you know, but so like, Karen, for seven, you can see he is,
0: God's, here he is. God's servant, like dear, you know, dear Jesus, save me by your name. Um, You take care of my enemies. My enemies are your enemies. They have not prioritized you, and now they're coming after me. Protect me because I'm your servant. Like this, a lot of this is mm-hmm. like a reputation thing. But it's also, when you get down to the end of it, it's also David's reputation.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and he comes away satisfied. You know, mm-hmm. he comes away satisfied. And so, as we get back then into 26, and we see how he is satisfied here, is kind of, is kind of interesting. Because I mean, the long the long story of it is that he he doesn't get he lets Saul go again. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Saul has come after David with three thousand men, and this is after he had told him he was he wouldn't do this anymore. And uh, Eric had pointed out that that David was smart enough to realize that um, not, he's not going to trust him on this. It's like the forgive and not forget, I guess. They part they part ways. At least with a with a with an appearance of being friends, but they go different directions. Well, obviously Saul didn't take it to heart. Comes after David with three thousand men. And remember, we just said David had six hundred.
0: That's very flattering. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so so Saul is she's he is still mean and serious business against David here. But as he gets he gets close to where David is then. David takes two other guys with him to go into Saul's camp. It uh, says Ahimelech the Hittite, and I remember there was a priest named Ahimelech, but I'm guessing this is a different guy. And Abishai, son of, um, I don't even know if I can say that word, Zeruiah, I'm going to say Zeruiah, it's probably wrong. But the entire camp is sleeping, everybody. I mean, it's nighttime, everybody's asleep, including Saul and Abner, who is the commander of the army. And Abishai sees this, and he wants to go up and just kill Saul right away. He's like, just let me go up there and do it. He says, uh, how would he put him? He's like, I think he was like, I could, I could just pin him to the ground, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I could just walk right up there and do it. And he's like, God has delivered your enemy. And I remember us talking about this before, like in the cave, saying, you know, how we could ask for God for a sign. And here we've got two times that Saul is right in front of David, defenseless and it would be relatively easy to just take care of business, just get it over with.
2: This is what was kind of amazing to me is that they were having this conversation right there. <laughs> <laughs> you figured they could have done that before they left, Yeah, you know, come up with a plan <laughs> before they got there. But yeah. They were literally, you know, and, and it's probably not right, but in a way I was thinking they were kind of like, Maybe even pretty close to Saul, maybe hovering over him. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but they're
2: just kind of deciding, you know, Abishai, I could pin him to the earth.
0: Wouldn't and even take his the like
2: They were fairly close, but they were in the midst of their enemy and they're having a conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering, too, how, you know, physically speaking, where was Saul located within this army of 3,000 men? I mean, you wouldn't think he'd be right on the edge the of middle. camp. It says he was in the middle. Yeah, yeah so these, that's
2: where the king would stay. He had to be ultimately protected. Yeah. So he was in the dead middle. So they were
1: around they had, everybody. They had to be right there. It's kind of a yeah, it's almost a comical situation. Or and and they're they're discussing, you know, what should what should we do with this guy? And they they probably could have done it. They probably could have done it quietly. You know, you do it quickly enough, Saul wouldn't have made a sound.
0: But I love what what David says in verse nine says, David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Mm -hmm. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now Mm -hmm. get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go.
1: A little bit of foreshadowing there. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs)
1: yeah so they do. They, they decide to take they take the spear and this water jug, and they're right next to Saul's head, so and I mean, yeah, right there, and they get out of ways, and I, will, I, I at this point, they must have gotten out of camp, and David calls out, he doesn't call to Saul though this time. he calls out to Abner, and he he, he really points out Abner's failure here because as commander of this army of three thousand men, Abner has really failed in protecting his king. And he calls out, why haven't you guarded the king? And he's like, look, I've got his spear and water jug, and you neglected your duty. I mean, that had to have been an embarrassment for Abner, for sure. I mean, sleep. Er, I mean, everybody's asleep. Nobody's on
3: guard here. Well, it does say that they had, in, in, uh, in verse 12, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. This wasn't this just true. a regular night. I mean, this was a, this was the thing. And again, was it a sign or was it a test? And uh, David took it as a test to avenge himself or not. And so anyways, mm-hmm. he, he reaches out and he yells and says, hey, you know, I could have killed you. And, and then Saul does the same thing. Oh, you're better than me and does that whole thing. And then they, he actually gives back the spear and water jug. And it's interesting that David says what Karen alluded to. David says the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Now, it's kind of a difficult thing to hold that, to say, yes, God does in fact do that, but how and when he does that is up to him, and I can't do the right thing dependent on my expectation of how that goes down, because there's a lot of Psalms as we read through those where I think it's a request, God do this for me, and we have read those, some of those things, we can get to some of those later, but we have read those as promises that we will never fall into the hands of our enemies, that we will never be hungry, that we will never be tired, that we will never be want, that we will never f- suffer shame at the hands of our enemies. And those things are just gonna say it, not always true. Those are not blanket, universal, always true things. Now we can request that and we can say, God, you know, do this, and we have to hold it in the context of the the larger picture of time between. Eden and Revelation 22, when things get set right, ultimately, because remember there are to skip ahead. Um, there are metaphorically souls under the altar in the heavenly tabernacle calling out to God, and these are the souls of those who have been beheaded for their testimony for Jesus. Is like well, wait a minute, if if in the Psalms everybody who believes in God is always delivered. What happened to John the Baptist?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, and so we have to look at these things and say, it's in God's time, it's in God's hands. It's like the three Hebrews who were facing Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel, well, I think it's chapter three or four, where they say, hey, we know that you could throw us into the furnace. We also know God could deliver us. He might or he might not. It doesn't matter because we're going to do the right thing anyways. I just think that it's important to to Karen's, That she brought up is that we do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because we expect God owes us in the way that we have done the math.
0: Okay, so if anybody is interested in that idea, Jesus himself talks a lot about it in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you want to dig into it a little further, you can read uh, Matthew 6. And it talks about different ways that the righteous choose to do the right thing versus not doing the right thing. So anyway, just something you can do.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, chapter 27 begins with David acknowledging that he knows that Saul is not going to stop coming after him. He absolutely knows that, that this is a, how, how do they, what's it? I've heard it called a pie crust promise, easily broken. <laughs> I don't remember where I picked that up, but um, what was that? That might have.
0: I think okay, that might've been, that might've
1: been Mary Poppins. I heard that from <laughs> <laughs> the wisdom of Harry Poppins. My wife will appreciate that one, but he knows, he knows that he's not going to keep this promise. And he, he makes a, it's, it, it it's a very, I don't know. It's an odd move to me, but at the same time, same time kind of brilliant, I guess, where he decides to uh, go ally himself with the Philistines Now, saying ally with the Philistines is sort of a a stretch here, as you'll see. But he goes back to Gath, where he had been before. This is where he had gone and ended up acting crazy so that he he could get out of there unscathed. But now he takes his two new wives, his 600 men, and goes back to Achish, who is, I guess, king there, ruler there. I was also interested here to find out, when I looked at the map, that this is firmly within the borders of Israel, like right smack in the middle of the land of Judah. yep so the Philistines have been occupying Israel for for a bit it sounds like and we never really got we never really got an indication in the reading of when they came in and started this of so, I don't know if it was just a, a gradual thing or if this was a result of the Israelites never quite getting all of the the bad seed out of there that they were supposed to.
2: Or it could be a direct reflection on how Saul wasn't wasn't mining or yeah. keeping track of Israel and was more
1: interested in running after David. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, David was attacking was attacking Philistines and asking God if he should attack them When you're thinking, well, why isn't Saul doing this? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, he does this, and it ends up being kind of a brilliant move on his part because now. And, and it, it, I think it's brilliant on his part, and it shows just how poor of a leader Saul was. as soon as Saul finds out that David has effectively joined up with the Philistines, he quits he quits chasing him. It says he he had he, to put it in verse four that when when he when he realized that he was with the Philistines, he just he just stops. I don't know if this is a fear, if this is a complacency or just exactly what it is, but, but at any rate, Saul just isn't going after David anymore once he realizes that Saul that David has joined up with the people who are, really are his enemies.
0: <clears throat> so um, just for curiosity, I just looked back in uh, 1 Samuel 21 to see who was the king when David went and hid there before, because I wondered, like, was Achish the king that David pretended to be crazy in front of before? And he is. It's the same king. So it's not like a lot of time has passed or the reins of power have been passed to the new person. Like this is the same guy where David marked the walls and drooled in order mm-hmm. to get out there.
1: Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder when he was acting nuts before and Akish just let him go. I wonder I wonder if Akish maybe just really didn't see him as a threat in the first place. And he's like, yeah, I just can't, you know, I don't need this guy around here let him go, and then when he comes back, you know, he's kind of a trophy at this point to Akish.
3: Yeah, this is, and you mentioned a good point is that there's a lot of irony in here is because David's been talking about, I'll let God handle this for me, and then he rolls into camp and lets the king of the Philistines handle it. Mm-hmm. And lies
0: um, to him. Lies to him over and over.
3: Yeah, and this brings essentially when you take the honor and shame thing, This brings shame to Israel and brings honor to the Philistines. And that's why Achish likes it is because he's like, look at this. How cool is this? Is that I've got somebody who purportedly is going out. He's an Israelite. He's going to be the future king of Israelite doing battle against, at least as David says it, against other Israelites. Mm -hmm. And this is, this does, I think it's maybe an appropriate point to put in here is just because somebody does it in the Bible doesn't recommend we should do it. David takes a number of wives for himself, and his predilection for this is not good. He pays a heavy, heavy, heavy price for his um, dalliances, shall we say. And it's just because he does it doesn't mean it's a thing that we should go out and do. Some of these things can be a cautionary tale, and as Karen mentioned too, is that he's, he's also, he's, he's not telling the truth. He's not speaking truth. And, um, this reflects poorly in the big picture and it's unfortunate, but this is, this is a situation where David does not put it into God's hands and say, God, you handle this? David puts this one in his own hands.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk about him not telling the truth to Akish. He's telling Akish that he's that he's raiding areas within Israel, while what he's really doing, so that's why I said it's kind of funny to call him allying with him, while what he's really doing is going uh, to the west and raiding, it says, Gesherites, Gerzites, Amalekites, it says, as far as Egypt. So he's going in a completely different direction than what he's telling Akish that he's doing. Uh, and he's, he's
0: everyone so that there's no witnesses.
1: Yeah, no witnesses so that nobody comes back and tells Akish what's actually going on. (laughs) I guess I'm wondering how Akish is is duped by this because you would think at some point something would get back to him that these people that he's supposed to be supposedly attacking, he's not attacking. You know, I wonder if it's kind of like the whole
2: out of sight, out of mind thing. It's not like now he could sit at a computer and, you know, send a quick email and, hey, nobody's here. David's not where it's supposed to be. And, you know, communication time, you know, Mm -hmm. I think no news is probably good news at some point. Just to a king. It's like, okay I'm not hearing anything. Everything must be fine. So he kind of gets away
1: with it that way. And then leaving nobody to talk about it helps, too. David's with him for not quite a year and a half. It's a year and four months. And yeah, like you said, communication time, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're so used to things being instant anymore. We know right away. I don't know how long it necessarily took for news to get around, and especially if you're talking all the way over to Egypt, which was, well, what would we say before? I mean, I was only like 17 or 18 days if you walked. But at any rate, David is making it appear like he is allying with Akish while he's really attacking the enemies of Israel. And so he's, he's not really allied with him. He's just making it look like he is and he's using achish to to just hold off Saul cuz Saul I don't know if Saul's afraid of Achish I don't know if Saul is just not worried about the Philistines in his land I don't know I don't know but at any rate that's what that's where David is and that's what he's doing so that's kind of where we leave the story for this week but then we had some psalms in in our reading this week and we start with psalm 17 what did you guys What did you guys take away from the Psalms this week? You know, Psalm 17 is a prayer with confidence in final salvation. And he talks about, let my vindication come from your presence. And we talked earlier about how, you know, let my salvation be in your name. You know, vindication, you know, if we think of vindication is come up. It's maybe not come up. And so that's maybe not the right way to put it. But just being in the presence of God, you know, I'm, I'm vindicated just by, just by being in your presence, by by following you, by, by having you on my side.
0: Well, he says it in the following verses, starting in verse three, he says what is, his justification is though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed though. People tried to bribe me. I have kept myself from the way of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your path. My feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God. You will answer me. Turn your ear to me. Hear my prayer. You know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like mm-hmm. keep me as the apple of the of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Like this, there's, there's this is his vindication.
1: Right, right. Like
0: I've done, I've done the right thing. Don't let the wicked cut me down.
1: Yeah, he says uh, you save you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, just um that 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 that, con- that confidence of being being in the right camp
0: i like the last verse again like with the last one like he really like kind of brings it home in the last verse he says as for me i will be vindicated and will see your face when i awake i will be satisfied with seeing your likeness uh new king james says it i will see your face in righteousness i shall be satisfied when i awake in your likeness like that's his vindication is he's he's saved There's more to his life than this thing that's in front of him. He's got something to look forward to.
1: Yeah, and he recognizes something else here, too, in verse, um, oh, where was it? Verse 14, he talks about, protect me from men of the world who have their portion in this life. They're getting getting everything they want right now. Mm -hmm. And that's all they're going to get. I know there's somewhere else in the Bible we've talked about that or I've read it. Maybe it's Jesus that says it, and I can't think of where. But talking about um, it's basically, you know, you're going to get you're going to get what you want, basically, you know, and if all you want right now is accolades, then that's what you're going to get. And that's all you're going to get. And uh, same thing with these guys here. Psalm 35 is another interesting one. It talks about how the Lord is the avenger of his people. And it begins the first few the first few verses begin about. About talking about getting your salvation in terms of battle, it talks about um, talking about God taking up a shield, shield and spear on your behalf, and how how uh, it's it's like your salvation is won in a battle. And I guess that's really kind of literal. I mean, David seeing it, we're talking about it here. I suppose mostly in terms of of people chasing after him, and and he's you know in fear, literally in fear for his life all the time. But we know too that we have a constant battle for our for our souls, if you will, going on in the in the in the spiritual realm in the ways that we can't physically see it. And and uh this constant battle for our salvation. He prays again, he's praying for misfortune for his enemies, and we've talked that about um and specifically misfortune that his enemies intend for him. Kind of like turn it turn it back on him. Oh. I thought it was kind
2: of interesting that he has has um his approach is is prayer, fasting, sackcloth as his way to fight and to be ready for his opponents. Where he has God, you know, with the shield, the buckler, and standing up for my help, and he's, you know, just there in prayer and and kind of pleading out to God to to help him.
1: Yeah, and he said in verse seventeen, "Lord, how long will you look on?" It's a very human reaction, I think we we see We see our times of trouble of you know lasting a long time. we want things taken care of quickly, but we f- when we do that, it's like we fail to understand the cosmic significance of things that are happening you know spiritually and that long term goal that God has of restoring righteousness in the universe, I guess I would say, you know. But David is like, how long How long is this going to take? Yeah. And um, that's, not, that's not... You know, I, I don't fault him. I don't fault him there. Because, you know, when you figure for us, you know, 75 years, a lifespan of... I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what an average lifespan is these days. But you figure probably at least in your 80s. You hope, anyway. That's a long time to us. You know? And when something takes years... That's a lot, you know. That's a, that's a significant portion of what we know. That's a significant portion of forever to us, and um, so it, I don't think it. I don't think it's an inadequate or an, uh, or inappropriate thing to ask and, and to put up there to God. Is it, is this going to take a long time? <laughs> but um, well, understand think, that God's time isn't ours. Go ahead, Karen.
0: Think about think about how many years the you know, planet earth waited for the Messiah. Think about Mm -hmm. how many years the Israelites waited for the Messiah, like all the way back to Eve, you know, the Messiah was, you know, there's a plan, there's a plan. Right. And then all the way through the, I mean, if you think about like, uh, like all, all the people who spent their entire life waiting to see the fulfillment and never saw it, you know, And if you if you if you think about the population of Earth over the centuries and you think about the number of people who have actually happened to be alive when major things shifted. Like there's there's I think there's continual slow shifting, but those sort of pivot points where you see something happening and you know, you know, you're right in the midst of a big thing like compared to the entire population of earth that's not that many people that get to see that kind of thing firsthand
2: mm-hmm. like yeah. covid
0: what do you mean what do you mean by that
1: it's one of those pivotal points yeah yeah our perspectives are our perspectives are different we have narrow perspectives in the big scheme of things oh the last verse or at least yeah verse 27 it says let the lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant Something David is recognizing there, and we we should. And this is after you know he's talking about you know let me be avenged, let me be um, you know save me from these guys who are who are against me. He's understanding that God really does want the people who follow Him to have decent lives, to have peace, to have prosperity, to have these things. You know, He would love. I would imagine God would love for us to have these things. That's not to say that He's going to. Uh, fill your bank account, and it doesn't mean to say that he's everything is going to get taken away from you. You know that that gives you any displeasure, but he doesn't. He's not looking for you to have difficulties. That's not God's role. That's not His desire. He really does want you to have prosperity, whatever prosperity may mean. You know, we might we 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 tend to think of it in worldly terms, but sometimes sometimes peace of mind is prosperity. Sometimes just a just a a knowledge of of being on the right side being on God's side having him in your camp being in God's camp rather is is a huge reward in itself at least in my opinion see we already talked about psalm 54 that was one of them uh psalm 63 was the last psalm of our reading this week and it was a short one We're not oh, terribly God. not terribly long but it was pretty short it was what 10 verses here I, I like know.
0: this this was a good this was a good indication of how focused on God David was in his fuzzy little heart of hearts like to the core of his being he wants God
1: Yeah I was I, I was interested in the way he describes it just right out right out the gate he he's very descriptive or uses very descriptive imagery when he starts talking about his longing or his attitude towards God is like He's thirsty and he's longing like, like, um, he says, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, if you're, if you've ever, if you've ever been really thirsty out in the heat and you don't have water available, you've had some kind of indication of what David is talking about here of, of, of desiring God.
0: Or, or if you're like me and you're curious and you happen to look up the wilderness of Paran, where David and his men went,
4: mm-hmm. it
0: is a wasteland.
4: Mm.
0: Where Ishmael went when he and his mom got thrown out of Abraham's camp, they mm. went and dwelt in, in Paran. But it is a wasteland. And who knows how similar it is now But the like the modern photographs of it are like, oh, my goodness. So when when I when I looked at that and then I read Psalm 63, I was like, oh, yep no, he knows exactly what he's talking about.
4: Yeah.
3: I like verse three. Your love is your steadfast love is better than life. And there's a song that's got a Mm -hmm. chorus in that that I really like. It's uh, pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had I had picked that one out too. just the, you know, God's love being better than life. I mean. That's a that's a perspective to keep. You know, we tend to we tend to put life at the at the pinnacle of value. And if we try to look at it through God's eyes, and people, boy, when I say this, sometimes people they get really get taken aback by this, but life is cheap for God. Yeah. yeah it he, is. You know, I mean he he can think about life and it happens. You know, <laughs> so so for us to place so much value on life is it's maybe a bit misplaced if we really have trust in god and so if we if we desire god's presence more than we desire life we're not misguided we're not misplaced i mean we're all going to die that's just a fact unless you know unless jesus comes comes first so for us to place ultimate value on preserving our our life. Our, it, it really is kind of a misplaced uh, misplaced thing. And that's, that's hard for us to grasp in the culture we live in. And there are some cultures that place less value in life, but that's not the same thing here. It's like, because in some cultures, life is like, it's like easily thrown away and they don't necessarily care. But that's not the case. That's not really the case here. It's just that If we lose it now, it's not like it's. We don't think it's forever.
3: It's. uh, I
0: liked um, Eric. You read ESV, right? You that's what your Bible is. Yeah, right now. Yeah, and and you said it was your. What did you call it? What? How did you say it? Your steadfast love is better than life. Is that what it was?
3: Uh, Yes, because your steadfast love is better than life.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. Like the longer the longer I live, the more the more I am disenchanted with the a uh, roller coaster effect of humans and the steadiness mm-hmm. of god mhm yeah
1: yep. verse 5 he talked about how his soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness and i took this to be like when you i mean uh, I, I don't know uh, <laughs> bone marrow to me doesn't sound very appetizing but i did take this to kind of sound like when you get a really good meal you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. satisfaction you have when it, it just tasted good, the texture in your mouth was great, you know, and, and you you were hungry before and you're satisfied now. This is the kind of, this is an analogy for the kind of satisfaction that David is having
3: with his relationship with God. And uh, At this moment, I think it's important to yeah. realize you read through the Psalms, it's like a prayer journal. He has good days and he has mm-hmm. really, really bad days. And sometimes... Yeah. Both of those emotions happen on the same day,
1: right? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Well, that's life, though. That's life, <laughs> and that's fair.
1: You know, we all have times and we're like, we totally get what God's doing. Then we either have times when we're just like, I have no idea what's happening right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, that's
2: what keeps his heart close to God, though, mm-hmm. in everything, is that he can see that. You know, those that are for me, those that are against me, but I know that I could always find my refuge and my shelter in you.
1: He talks about meditating on God because He's been, because God is one who has helped him. Talks about God's hands upholding him. I can I can sort of picture that almost in a literal way of how you would see that. While God's hand will uphold him, those who want to destroy him will be destroyed. Will be destroyed themselves. It says, verse eleven. I'm curious how other translations say this. Says, everyone who swears by God shall glory. How did uh, how does other translations put that? In verse eleven,
3: uh, ESV says, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped.
1: Exalt. exult makes a little more sense there.
0: Yeah. So, um, NIV. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be science, Silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, New mm-hmm. Living Translation says rejoice. Uh, the message says be glad.
1: Be glad. So. That makes it really clear there. I mean, shall glory. I mean, I, I, I guess I, I kind of had a, I was getting a concept of what he was talking about, but it was one that I was having trouble putting in words. So that makes sense. Exalting God, being glad. And of course, I was saying they will glory. I mean, that puts a more sort of a more regal feel on it, puts more, probably more meaning into it. But um, you get that uh, sort of stepping off point. What I'm really taking from all of these Psalms, because that's the last of our Psalms for this week, I believe. Yeah. And what I'm really taking away from these Psalms, at least in 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 the context of what we've been reading about David's life here, is that while david's life has not been easy he is very much keeping a positive attitude by constantly looking to god to be his his source of inspiration to be his source of protection and he's looking at it, looking to him for you know a literal physical protection here and i think that's that's valid for us as well to look to god to physically protect us from things like I mean, we can, we can we can look to him for protection from things like illnesses and from other people's bad intentions and such. And if we can keep our focus on God through those things, then I feel, and you guys can chime in here, I feel that our hearts are going to feel better about life in general. Even if things are falling apart around us, If our focus is on God and God's intentions, his goodwill, you know, glorifying him and his purposes, it seems to me that it keeps us in a better perspective of life where things like depression might be held at bay. Even even our physical health, because I see a lot of people. I'm going to
3: disagree with you, Matt. That's fine. I think we get all those things. I think we get pain. We get difficulty. We get persecution. We got to remember that David was running literally for his life. And he could have said, God, I'm just going to stay right here and you protect me, send your angels. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, that wasn't the answer. And he suffered all those things. He's fast forward in his life. He had his sons try to kill him. He had a really rough time. Uh, He caused a lot of pain. He experienced a lot of pain. But at the same time, I agree with you. Is it that these things, is it David saying, you know, who have I but you? And I think it doesn't I don't know if it lessens the pain. I do believe that God can and does often help us avoid trouble and pain and the and the schemes of others, but not always. For whatever reasons we don't understand. And I believe though that his presence because that's a theme that just keeps coming back in the Psalms is God's presence and his just his being there I mean remember the Psalm 23 just like the pinnacle of this whole thing is his presence with God I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever Mm -hmm. it's his presence with him through the valley of the shadow of the death it's his presence with him in the uh, with him in in the in the company of his enemies is it's God's ability. Our when we choose him, he helps us hang on to him in spite of all the junk that comes our way. Yeah, because well, I, did, I didn't mean yeah. to make it sound like keeping
1: trust in God keeps all these things away. I more meant yeah. meant it to be that if we have our trust in God, we're able to better deal with them.
3: Yes, I agree with you then.
2: I
1: jumped in too soon. Yeah. No, you're fine. You're fine.
2: You know, and I think too along those lines, you know, it's life. You know, I can't say I know one person that's made it through their entire life unscathed or hasn't had problems or heartache or sorrow or or difficulty or any, anything like that. But I think it's that compass that you have that always points to God. Mm-hmm. You know, that you could always go there in any time. You can go there in joy. You can go there in sorrow. But it's always, it's always that, that compass that always takes you back to God or keeps you focused on God. And even if you fall away, because, you know, we look at it in the things that, that David has done, he always knows where God is and always goes back to God and always asks God what to do or pleads to God for, for forgiveness for what he's done when he's gone astray. It just,
1: it keeps you grounded and focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's more what I was trying to say, but it, it, it's good though, Eric, that you pointed that that out otherwise too, because because there is that prosperity gospel out there that tries to make it sound like if you if you just believe in God, everything's going to be great and wonderful, and you are going to be happy, and you know you are going to your your finances are going to be better, and you are going to have a nice car and a great house, and that's just not the truth. It's just not true. But but having a perspective of God, keep keeping your eyes focused on his desires his goals it helps us to better be able to handle when the hardships come because they will come they always do for everybody they always they always come so if you're having hardship in your life don't feel like you're alone don't think you're alone because it happens it happens to all of us it happens to the best of us and it doesn't mean that God isn't paying attention it doesn't mean that that uh, you've done, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've done anything wrong or bad. It's just, uh, we live in a world where these things happen. And someday those will be taken away. And I mean, I know that's what helps me hold on when things get rough. And, you know, is that is that hope that we have of of when things will be perfect. When everything will be exactly the way that, that uh, God wanted them to be. And they should be, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, <clears throat> I oftentimes think of a couple of things that Jesus said where he's like, at one point he, in a couple of places, he refers to Satan as the prince of this world. Like this mm-hmm. is a false world. And, and there is, there is more than one, there is more than one force working for our attention and working for our future and our priority and our everything else. Like there's no I think as long as we live here, we can expect that to be the case. But if um, uh, we haven't gotten to 2 Samuel yet, but there's one place in Second Samuel where uh, David has done something wrong and a prophet comes to him and says, well, you did this wrong and you are going to be punished. Here are your three choices. And t- two of the choices have to do with the surrounding nations and one of them has to do that would only come from God. And David says, without hesitation, let us fall into the hands of God. His mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. Mm -hmm. So if we if we view the world that way, then Jesus's words where in this world you will have trouble, but do not fear. I have overcome the world like that takes on a different meaning. It doesn't mean everything you do right now will be protected. It just means you can fall in the hand of God and Mm -hmm. be a bigger plan no matter what's happening right now.
1: Right. Exactly. That's excellent. That's going to wrap it up for our discussion this week. Next week, we will finish the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 28 through 31, and we will also pick up Psalm 18. So that will be a reading assignment for the coming week. While you are waiting for that to culminate, remember you can reach us at attvpodcast at theadventures.org. You can find us on Facebook please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family so that they can get the same experience you had. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you reach us in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.